Hi, this is Grace Revolution Part 6, and the title of this lesson is The Grace Challenge. Here we go. Okay, thank you very much for coming in this, out in this cold night, you brave believers, you. Um, let's, let's pray and let's start. Daddy God, thank you so much for your presence and for your love and for your smile. And thank you that we can gather together in the, in the joy of knowing that you're a good God. And because of that, Lord, we can smile with you, we can enjoy life with you, we can, we can really carry the burden which is light and easy, and we can find rest for our souls, and we thank you for it. Help me, help me, Daddy God, help me to be clear to the point so that indeed uh, I may serve some kind of purpose tonight. Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, because basically the, 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 the idea is not to, uh, to engage in more, uh, in eating more knowledge, more facts, and more uh, statistics about the Bible and about Scripture and everything. The idea is to get something, to hear something that will change your life that will actually, you will be able to use in every day's life. And what more than the basis of what Paul says, you will reign in life through one Jesus Christ because of His grace. You will reign in life because of His grace, not because of your behavior, not because of your obedience, not because of anything you do, but because of His grace. Grace will give you the ability to reign in life because grace will free you from chains and from things that hold you back, from enjoying life. Because basically, bottom line, I don't know you, but I want to enjoy my life. I have uh, really seriously um, decided many years ago that this life is the only one I got, and so I'm going to enjoy it. And uh, this is the, the solution to, uh, to messing up the thing. Uh, Okay, are you there? Please be there. And not end of the show. And not end of the show. Okay. Uh. Okay. I'm coming. <laughs> okay. Sorry, guys. Can you talk to to one another just uh, just quickly? <laughs> let me let me restart this thing. Let me restart this thing. Okay, and that. And okay, this one is um, all right. Let, the, um, so we have uh, we have started. Uh, this is number six, the sixth week that we get together, and we've uh, we've covered five weeks of teaching of what we have called uh, started calling a different food. Why? Because originally we we talked about the fact that we we eat the same, we used to the same kind of cheese, and when something else is being served, we, can't, we, we, we don't know whether it's, it's, we want it or not, and so the whole grace message is different, it's totally different, it's completely different, uh, you, I'm sure that by now you've already heard me saying things that rattled your, your religious foundations a little bit, uh, and if I, if I were to say, 
other things, let me, let me give you one that will rattle your foundation a little bit more. You heard about uh, most of the condemnation that comes uh, from the religious quarters is uh, the, the, one of the verses that they use is the one that says, one day the Lord will be and will have the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And he will send the sheep to heaven and he will send the goats to hell, telling them, I do not know you, right? We, are, we all have heard that. So what is the basis of a scripture like that? The basis is very simple. It's because the sheep said, hey, what? E? Sure, okay, thank you. The God said, hey, wait a minute. We, we gave you food. We came to visit you. We, we gave you, we, we prayed for you when you were in an hospital. We came to visit you when you were, what's the matter with you? And Jesus said, no, I don't know you. Because you are putting, you are basing your salvation on what you've done for one of the least of these, my brethren. You base that on what you've done. They based it on what they've done to me, what they've done for me, what they, what they have received and then returned. You, you based your salvation on your, on your efforts. And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis 4 and 5, you will find out that the reason why Cain was uh, rejected was very simple. It's because Cain went to God with the fruit of his hands. He went to God with veggies that he had grown in his back garden. Whereas Abel went to God and his sacrifice was what? Was a lamb. What did Abel have to do with the life of a lamb? Nothing. Apart from the fact that it was a shadow of Christ, but the lamb proceeded from God and Abel gave back something that God had given him. Cain said, I'm going to produce something that's going to make you happy. And he's going to make you say, oh, look how good Cain is. He gave me carrots and lettuce and, and leeks and, uh, and garlic. And so the whole thing is based on a, on, a, on a shifting point of view. Moving away from what the Bible calls the flesh, which is not sin. The flesh is the idea of being able to produce some kind of salvation by your works. And again, we don't have time now, but you can go all the way back to Genesis and you'll find out that that's exactly what the snake told Adam and Eve. He said, if you do this, you can be like God. But you have to do something. You have to eat of the knowledge of the, of the, of, of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of, the, of good and evil. Why? Because what is good and evil? What is, what is the knowledge of good and evil? What is, the, what is knowledge of lawful and unlawful? The law. So all that Adam said, he said, I'm going to make my own law. I'm going to be good and you better pay me back. And that was the whole thing from the beginning. And that is the whole thing that is based on the word repent. Repent is change your mind from your set, from your mindset that says, I can earn my salvation. I can be good enough for God to accept me. I can do stuff from the point of view that says, I can do nothing. But I can accept what He has done. I can receive what He has done. And that is all that God is asking you. Because you cannot eat the fruit of the knowledge of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and survive because your law will not sucks <coughs> and that's again paul says 
says, he says, don't, don't come and tell me that you don't, you don't murder anybody. Or you don't commit uh, uh, adultery. Because all you have to do is lie once, and you've broken the whole law. And you are unlawful for one lie. And I ask you a question, remember. I said, how many sins does it take for you to be a sinner? And most of, most of the people answered, one. And I said, no. None. You're born a sinner. You don't have to do anything. Adam gave you his DNA. Therefore, you're a sinner. The only way that you can change it is not by stopping sin. It's by changing DNA. And the only way that you can change DNA is by accepting a father that says, I want to adopt you. And be born again. Okay, so... <laughs> So then we saw, we saw the, um, the fact that the, all religions are based on a contractual relationship and that uh, the gospel is based on a promise, not on a contract, not on performance, but on promise. It, uh, uh, every other religion says, if I do this, God will do this. Every religion, every religion including evangelical, charismatic, Pentecostal, call it whatever you wanted. Uh, modern, independent, whatever. Religion will tell you, for God to do something, you must believe more. You must have more faith. You must fast. You must stop doing what you're doing. You must go to church. You must tithe. If you don't tithe, God's not going to bless you. Because Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithe in so house and prove me now in this. If I will not, windows of heaven would be in room enough for you to build. So, and, and like that, what do we do? We bring on ourselves a curse because now is it is it 10% on the gross or on the net? Mm -hmm. And 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 must I, must I do on, on everything that I receive or can I can I can I skip something on? And if I can't afford it, what can, and it becomes a work and it becomes a burden. And Jesus says, My burden is light, it's easy. Find rest for you. So come to me, come to me and pick up this thing that is light and easy. And you will find rest for your soul. So we saw that. Relationship is based on on contract, and then we saw that uh, uh, Jesus speaks of the burden that's light and easy, and and that we we we've seen that religion is definitely not so. And then we saw that uh, uh, contrary to what we've always sort of believed, the 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 new covenant doesn't start in Matthew one one with the birth of Jesus, but it starts at the end of the Gospels with the death of Jesus, because the letter to the Hebrews clearly states. The testament starts with the death of the testator, the one who wrote the testament. When he dies, the testament comes into action. So the testament doesn't come into action when Jesus is born, comes into action when Jesus dies. And that's why on the cross he said, it's finished. Because the penalty for a broken covenant was what? Death. God put our sin in Christ. Jesus paid, the old covenant was finished. It is finished. And now the new covenant, the veil is broken from top to bottom. And the new covenant starts. So, then we've seen, uh, will the real Jesus please step forward? And we've seen that, uh, that Jesus in the Gospels has almost a, 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 a split personality. 
He speaks to Israel in a certain way and He speaks to the sinners in a different way. He speaks to Israel and is harsh and, and, and judgmental and, 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 he, and, he, and, he, and he puts impossible uh, um, rules and regulations forward so that they cannot, they cannot do it. They cannot obey what Jesus says because Jesus says, you don't do this, cut your hands off. Your sin, pluck your eye out. Says, you want to follow me? Sell everything you have. Whoever asks of you, give him everything. And it's impossible rules that Jesus says, guys, you can't do it. Will you come to terms with the fact that you cannot earn your salvation? That the only way to heaven is through me. The only way to the Father is through me. Okay? So we saw that... Uh, there's the Jesus that speaks to, 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 the, to, the, to the Jews and the Jesus that speaks to the Gentiles. Why? Because Jesus says in his own words, he says, I have not come but for the sheep, for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So when Jesus speaks in, 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 the, in the Gospels, 90% of the time he doesn't talk to you. He talks to Israel. Jesus in his words, he says, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I didn't come for you. I came for Israel. Why? Because God wants Israel to accept His Messiah. And that's why when Jesus send the, sends the, the, the apostles, who does He send them to? To the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Check. Matthew 10, 6, Matthew 15, 24. He doesn't send the apostles to the Romans. That comes after the beginning of the New Testament. That comes with Peter, with Paul, with, with the book of Acts. Before then, everything was, was pointed at Israel. And that's why when we, when we pick up verses like... Uh, 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 and that's another thing that I think blew some of your fuses... But uh, when we say, uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, and da 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 and then, and then we, close with it, we close our eyes and we feel very spiritual, we say, And forgive us, Father, the same way that we forgive others. Amen. You have just cursed yourself. Because you do not forgive others. And you ask God to forgive you like you forgive and Jesus is trying to say, can you not see that it's impossible, even when he says, you must love one another as I have loved you. <laughs> How many of you, honestly, is prepared to say, I can, from the cross, while I'm being crucified, I'm I'm going to tell God, Father, forgive them, not because of what they've done or because of what they will do. Father, forgive them right now while they're doing them, while they're doing it. Anybody? Anybody? No. I don't care if your name is Mother Teresa, Pope 17th, whatever. You can't do it because a human being cannot agapao, cannot agape. Proof it be, John 21, 
Jesus speaks to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agape. Peter, do you agapao? I mean, the verb is agapao. Agape is love, the, the noun, and the verb is agapao. Peter, do you agapao me? Peter replies and he says, yes, I phileo you. Agapao is the love of God that requires nothing in return. Phileo is the love of man that wants to be, what's an exchange of, uh, of, of, of sentiments, of feelings, of emotions. Second time, Jesus says, Peter, do you agapao me? Peter says, ah, come on, boss, you know I phileo you. And the third time, because Jesus is trying to make a point, he says, Peter, do you phileo me? And he comes down from the impossible requirement of the law that says you have to agapao your enemies. To grace that says, you know what? You can just try your best. Because grace looks at the heart and not at your hands. Religion looks at your hands. So, okay, let me go on. So, uh, and then in Ephesians 2.14, Paul says that he will make of the two one. He broke the middle wall of, of partition so that the two, the Gentiles and the Jews, may become one people. Right? And then he says in John 10.16, he says, I am the good, I'm the good shepherd and I got another flock. That will be part of my flock. So what is he saying? He's saying, when, when, I, when, I, when the Old Testament is finished and the New Testament starts, the two groups, Israel and Gentiles, will not be two anymore, will be one. And now there's not going to be any more Moses and Messiah. There's going to be first Adam, last Adam. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. There's no, you can be... Benjamin Netanyahu, if you're, not in a, if you're not in Christ, you ain't going to heaven. Because only children of the Most High God go to heaven. And so the, the, the key for the Jews is what? Is what Paul, what Paul says in Romans 10 when he says, My prayer is that all Israel will be saved. And of course there will be a supernatural intervention and, and I'm positive that God... Uh, somehow reaches their heart and, and, and presents the Messiah to them. So anyway, we're going on. And then we saw that, uh, that uh, uh, in, in, the, in the repetition, we were talking about the, the, the blood of bulls and goats that cannot take away uh, the sin, but can only cover it. And, uh, and that what the, what the Jews, what the high priest used to do uh, once a year, at Yom Kippur, when he, when, he, when he killed a scapegoat and he let, let one goat go and the other one got killed and sacrificed and everything, that was a reminder to the Jews of their sin. And that's exactly what's happened today when they tell you, you've got to ask for forgiveness. You don't ask for forgiveness so that you can be forgiven. You ask for forgiveness so that you can shake your legs from the weight of the sin that so easily beget us and that stops you from running and that stops you from having a good life and that stops you from having the life that God wants you. Your sins have been nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago once and for all. <clears throat> Jesus has done it once. He's not going to do it again. There is not remission of sins without the shedding of blood. So Jesus shed His blood once. What are you going to do with the sins that He has not forgiven? He's not going to die again. You see how crazy religion is. Religion will say that, no, no, no. 
God has forgiven you, and I'm sure you've heard it. God has forgiven you for your past sins. And if you, if, if you repent for the, for, the, for, the, for the present ones, but not for the future ones, how can He forgive you for something you haven't done yet? Well, let me ask you something. When Jesus died, where were all your sins? In the future. So He forgave you the sins that you hadn't committed yet. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Surprise! No, but religion will say, no, 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 no. God forgives you the, the, the sins of the past, yeah, because, because you come to God and you repent and you cry and you go to the altar and you whip yourself. And, uh, and I'm not saying that, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not making fun of that. I did that, I did that, and by the grace of God, I was suicidal and I was dead and I'm alive. So I'm not saying, I'm, I'm just trying to make a point that will shake religious cobwebs away from, from, from tradition so that we can come to terms with the fact that all my sins have been carried by the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When, 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 Jesus, when Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3 and He says, Just like Moses lifted up the serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, so will the Son of Man be lifted up. And when he's lifted up, he will draw all, and you have in your mind the next word, which is what? He will draw all? It's not in the Bible. Check in your Bible, you will see that men is in italic. It's been added. He will draw all, and the word for all is the word pass, which means, speaks of everything that was spoken of before. Check. The only thing that was spoken of before was judgment. And Jesus says, when the Son of Man will be, will be lifted up, He will draw all judgment to Himself. Not men. You can see men are, are not being drawn. You can put as many crucifixes and as many stuff that you want. Men are not drawn. But judgment was drawn. The same way the Neushatan, what did the snake do? When, when God instructed Moses, He said, Put the snake, bronze, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an alloy that speaks of the combination of divinity and humanity in Christ. Uh, so put the snake on this pole. The pole is actually the original, the, the original uh, name for pole is its, which is translated tree, pole, or in the New Testament, the, the, from Hebrew to Greek, cross. So basically, uh, uh, Moses, God tells Take the snake, put it on the cross, put it on the, on, on the pole, and lift it up. And when the, when, when the people of Israel have been bitten, all they have to do is look at the snake. And the snake will draw all judgment to itself, and they will be healed. It will draw the sin. It will take the sin out of Israel. It will take the poison that they got bitten from. Poison and sin is it, it's, it's the same shadow. Poison out of them and it will go into, into him. And he will be the snake that draws the thing. Yes, he was the lamb, but he was the snake of Neushatan. The, the, the thing of bronze that, that Moses lifted up in the, in the wilderness. And so, so, in all that there was a reminder in all... In all this exercise, religious exercise, there's a reminder of the fact that you still got something to do. 
And we all know, we all know that what we've been told for years, that nah, no, it's fine, but, but. No, you're okay, no, no, maybe you're doing fine, but, but. You were not made free to do what you want. You're made free to follow Christ, but not to do what you want. Then I'm not free. Then I'm not free. If I'm not free to disobey you, I'm not free. And Jesus says, the Son has made you free indeed. So, the reminder, and then we saw the fact that uh, that, uh, uh, that reminder was in the mind of, of Peter. Every time he heard a, a, a rooster crow in the morning. The devil used that reminder that he wasn't okay, that Jesus hadn't forgiven him, that it was still something to repent, that he was dirty, that, that he was filthy, that he was not right before God. He used that rooster every time he crowed, he said, Peter, you are a traitor. And every time he heard that rooster, sin revived. And he was reminded of the sin. So we saw that, that that is not so. Then we looked at the fact that uh, uh, one of the, one of the um, okay, I promise next week we're not going to recap. <laughs> but, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the things that, uh, that, uh, that is thrown at, at uh, grace believers like me is that, yeah, but you, you're, giving, you're giving people the license to, sue, to sin. Okay, number one, people don't need my permission to sin. Okay. Nobody goes home and finds himself in front of a screen, computer screen, and he's ready to touch that little link that says something, and he says, No, Mario said, don't do it. <laughs> no. Sin is inbred into the nature of man, and the only thing that makes you allergic to sin is the grace of God. The law makes you contagious. The law makes you want to sin. And Paul says, Paul says, where there is no law, there is no sin. The law revived, the, the law came and sin revived. Okay, so, uh, license to sin, and uh, uh, that, that creates uh, this, this dichotomy, this split personality between a saint and a sinner. I'm, I'm a saint when I behave well, and I'm a sinner when I don't, and uh, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ, because He who knew no sin was made to be sin for me, so that I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm the Son of God who sometimes sins. Because if I didn't, I would have no need to stay here. Okay, so that's a... And then, then we looked at the Hebrews 6 and Hebrews 10. We haven't got time for that. But those are the, the big blocks of, to the message of grace. And then we saw the fact that there is a nature. Uh, we asked the question, is, that, is an apple tree an apple tree because it makes apples? Or it makes apples because it's an apple tree? And the answer to that was yes. The nature of the tree is what God does. And that nature produces the fruit. Of the spirit, so 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 God changes your DNA, changes changes your your inner nature through grace, changes your inner nature, and that causes the outside of your life to produce the right fruits. And definitely, sometimes it takes a while to produce the right fruit. But you know something: if you might not produce a very nice looking apple, 
You might produce a, a kind of Maybe it's a little fruit, but you know what? You will not produce bananas because your nature is apple. You might not produce big, great fruit of God, but you will produce the fruit of God because the nature inside of you is the nature of God. The DNA has been changed. The nature we saw in 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 First Peter, we say that He has given us His nature. Okay, let's go on. And then we saw last week the penalty, the, the, the red card of the, of the uh, sorry, not last week, the week before, the, the red card of, uh, of sin. And we covered the, in the book of Samuel where it says, uh, when Nathan, when Nathan uh, the prophet, goes and sees the king, King David, and he says to King David, because of what you've done with Bathsheba, uh, um, you, the, this is going to happen. The sword is not going to leave your house. The, 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 you're going to have a bad life and everything because sin has got consequences, serious consequences. And we we cover the fact that the little baby that had no fault whatsoever eventually died because sin will kill innocent people. If you don't believe that, just check the latest terrorist attack. People that had nothing to do with nothing and sin, the Islamic sin of, of wanting to kill somebody for the sake of Allah, kills innocent people. And that applies to everything. That applies to alcoholism. That applies to drugs. That applies to a son that takes drugs and that throws his family in, in, in debt and, and, and problems. It applies to sin has consequences. We saw that. The only way that David could get out of that is when he said, I have sinned against God. And Nathan said, God has put away your sin. And we saw that the, the word there for, uh, the Hebrew word was the word abar, which means he's put a cross over your sin. And then he, then he makes a statement that he said, you will not die. In other words, David, the consequences stay, but you will not die. Because God has put a cross over your sin. Woo! Okay, and then last, uh, last uh, Monday we looked at uh, God is my shepherd and we covered Psalm 23 in somewhat of a deep way. Now, what we are talking about this week is if, uh, what would you say is the most depictive story in the Gospels about grace. What would you say? Give me, give me, give me an offer. In the, in the Old Testament, we saw that the, 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 the one who needed grace more than anybody else was David. Mm. Right? In the New Testament, there's a story that Jesus tells that is usually used to speak of grace. As the prodigal son. Okay? The prodigal son, Luke chapter 15, when Jesus speaks... To the Pharisees and he gives them three stories, three little parables. One about the coins and at the end of the story, the, the moral of the story is the coin did not lose its value even while it was lost. Because when the woman found it, she rejoiced. In other words, the coin had not lost its value while it was lost. Second, second story was the sheep. The hundredth sheep that was lost. The sheep had not lost their shepherd while she was lost. 
the shepherd went looking for. Not only that, but when the shepherd found the sheep, didn't slap the animal stupid, didn't say, you idiotic animal, you are told you thousand times, don't go there, there's a, there's a ravine, there's, there's, there's thorns, and there's, I, I knew, but I can't leave you alone for a minute, and you start smoking again, you start drinking again, you start shooting up again, look at you, look at you, no, what did he do? He found, a, and he rejoiced that he had found the sheep that was lost. And that is the attitude of our God, when he finds the sinner, he rejoices. He doesn't jump on him and condemn him. And, and, and so, the third story, of course, is the story of the prodigal son. And we all know the story. We know that, uh, uh, we, we, um, we're not going to read it, but you know the story. The, 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 this man has got two sons, uh, and uh, the younger of the two decides that, uh, basically, he says to his father, whether, you, whether you're alive or dead, I couldn't care less. What I want is I want your money. So give me your money. Give me the part of the inheritance that, that uh, is due to me. And, uh, and then do what you want. Die. Do whatever. So the Bible says that he divided to them the, his li livelihood. So he divided to both the sons. Which meant that the, the firstborn got two thirds. And the, the youngest got one third. <coughs> so uh, the young man takes, he takes his money. And he goes, and he goes uh, uh, to a far country. We don't know how far it was. We just know that it was, <coughs> the Bible said it was a far country. And there he, he wastes, can you give me some water please, baby? <coughs> Sorry. And there he wasted his, his, um, his substance in prodigal living. Hence the name prodigal son. Uh, however, it was more of a prodigal father than not a prodigal son. But uh, the, the prodigal gets his name, but living prodigally. In other words, spending and giving away. And, uh, problem is that uh, uh, the, the crisis hits the, the world market. And uh, the country where he is uh, has a problem. And uh, people start losing jobs. Uh, the economy goes down the drain. And he doesn't have any more money. So in order to survive, he uh, decides to join himself. Thanks, baby. Her, not you. <laughs> he decides to join himself to a citizen of that land, of that country. Now, it's interesting, the, the, the choice of words that Luke, Dr. Luke, uses in the Greek. He uses the word to join himself. They use, he uses the word proskolao. And, and the word proskolao is used in a sexual sense. And the man will join himself to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Proskolao. You can even hear the word kolao, collate, collant, something that... It's a, it's a physical joining, it's a sexual word. So this boy prostituted himself. To survive. That's how, that's how low he went. To the point where we all know the story. He tried to, he tried to uh, survive by eating the pig's food that he was supposed to feed the pigs with. And he couldn't even eat that. So one day the Bible says, he says to himself, he comes to his sense, says to himself, In my father's house, even the servants have got something to eat. 
I will return and I will tell my father, I have sinned against heaven and you. Make me one like one of your servants. So he didn't go back because he was sorry that he hurt his dad. He went back because he was hungry. In my father's house, even the servants have got food. So I will go back. He didn't say, I am so sorry I've hurt my dad, I've hurt my mom because where there is a dad, last time I checked, there is a mom. Uh, you know, uh, biologically that's the way it works. So, mom, my, my, my brother, my, the neighbors, the, the community, everything he hurt, everybody. No, he doesn't say that. He says, I, I'm, I'm starving, I'm dying of hunger here, but in my father's house, so I will go back. So, he starts walking back, and we don't know how far it is. We don't know if it was 5 kilometers, 50 kilometers, 500 kilometers, 5,000 kilometers. We don't know, because it was a far country. He gets, eventually gets home. The father, we, we all know the story. We've seen it a thousand times. The father is waiting for him. He sees him coming from the, from the distance. Most probably what he sees first is a cloud of flies that, that, that buzzes over his head and, uh, and uh, um, other stuff. And so he, he, he immediately he, he jumps up and he runs. Now listen, the, 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 every word in the Bible is important. Why does the Bible say that the father runs? Because in the Middle East, the important person does not run to the subservient. Doesn't, does not run to the person that is not as important as he is. It's the other person that runs. The servant runs for the master. The master will never run for someone that is in a position below his. So by the father running in front of the, sh the shape of the, of, the, of the little village in which the, 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 the Israelis used to build it, was, was the, the, the owner of the land would build his house and then around it would come all the little shops, the, 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 the guy that fixed the horseshoes and the, and the, and the, the guy that the, the, the forger, the, the, the miller, the bread maker, the, they would all build around in, like in a semicircle, and so there would, there would be like a courtyard in the middle where, where things happen, when people talk to one another, and, they, 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 and so by the father running, he shows everybody in my heart, my son is more important than I am, and everybody can see that, and I can imagine they must have sucked air. <gasps> The boss is running. The king must be here. The owner of the country must be here. And then they look and they say, and they see Junior, filthy dirty, followed by coyotes, just waiting for him to drop, circled by crows, car, car, car. But flies buzzing around, cockroaches climbing out of his ear. I mean, covered in slime, and, and he's dragging his feet because he's walked for, for 50 kilometers. And they say, and he's running for that? Let me tell you something. I hope you saw this picture nicely because that's the way you and I are before a perfect God. Your greatest white, your greatest clean, is but filthy rags in front of God. And yet, 
We're still trying to wash our clothes and scrub and do. And God says, you can be coming out shining like a plate of silver. You'll still be filthy dirty before me. And so he runs and he gets to it to the sun. And he, he, he the, the, the little speech that the sun had prepared is so unimportant in the heart of God that, that he starts saying and says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you make me like one. And the son says, shut up. I don't care. Come here. Come here. Come here, boy. Which goes to prove that God is Italian. And, and hugs him and kisses him. And, and, and he doesn't even let him finish the speech. Why? Because he couldn't care less about your excuses. What he wants is your home. You're back with all the drugs, with all the sex, with all the booze, with all the jail, with all the nonsense, with all the tattoos, with the I don't care, you're home. And that's what makes me happy. And then he turns around and of course we know that the, the servant <laughs> was following after, the, after the, the boss and he says, yeah, give me the best robe in the land, in, in the house, give me the ring and give me sandals. Put sandals on my, on, on my, on my son's feet, and uh, I don't know if you heard me say this, but uh, again, in the, in the Middle East, servants are not allowed to walk into the house of the boss with shoes on, because they can bring the dirt, the outside dirt, into the house of the boss. Servants must take off their shoes before they get into the house. Sons keep their shoes on, their sandals on. And that's why the father in front of everybody said, put sandals on my son's feet. Because he's a son. He's not a servant. And that's why God at the burning bush, what does he tell Moses? Moses, take your shoes off, boy. Who do you think you are? Son, you're a servant. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. You can't mess it up. Take your shoes off. And that's why Muslims take the shoes off before they go into a mosque. That's why Hindus take the sandals off because they, before they go into the temple. Because they're not sons. Only Christians are sons. Only grace-believing Christians are sons. And so, uh, now that I've given you this, the, the title of, <laughs> the title of, of tonight's talk is The Challenge of, of Grace. Why? Because I don't know about you, but I have the tendency, the ugly tendency, of applying grace to myself and law to the others. I know that none of you would do that. I'm talking about me. In other words, all these concepts are very clear in my mind, and, and, and I have them. But you just try and behave wrong. I'll bring the law on you. And in fact, I'll bring it so heavily that I will be happy when you get caught. Judged and punished. That's me, not you. So tonight, I wanted to give you some impossible rules of grace. And then try to get you off the hook at the end. This is James. James was such a heavy letter that Martin Luther wanted to take it out of the canon. 
especially for the scripture that I'm going to show you in a minute. And he says, this is from the message, talk and act like a person expecting to be judged, but the rule that sets us free. The rule that sets us free is the rule of love. Okay? For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. So in other words, James is saying, hey, if you don't apply grace, people will not apply grace to you. So the only way that you can get results is by forgiving, by applying grace, by doing what you say you believe. And then he says, kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. This is what James says. Kind mercy wins over judgment, harsh judgment, every time. If you, wanna, if you want to uh, win back somebody, harsh judgment, listen to me nicely, ain't going to do it. It's not going to do it. I don't care if it's your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband, your friend, your employee. I don't care who he is. I don't care if it's God and you. God's harsh judgment will not win you over. But His mercy will. And then it says the scripture that, that Martin Luther wanted to take out of the Bible. From the New King James. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? And of course we know that Martin Luther based his whole uh, uh, presentation to the Catholic Church to the fact that you, can, you have to be saved by faith. But now, you know where the problem is? The problem is that you are looking at that word save as salvation, eternal salvation. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there is no salvation. It just says save. In other words, it's saying, do you honestly think that you say that you believe something, but you don't put it into practice? Your son is going to come home and say sorry. Your wife is going to come home and say she's sorry. Your husband is going to stop drinking. Your, your boss is going to stop treating you bad. The only way that you can do that is through kind mercy. Apply what you believe about grace. Apply what you say you believe about the goodness of God. Apply it in your life and you will be saved. You will have success. In other words, would you have forgiven the prodigal son? And let my question hang in the air for a, for a few seconds. Because it's very easy to read, a, to read a scripture and say, Wow, look at that, that fantastic jewel. That man, boy, he just, the, the boy came home and he forgave him and everything. Would you have forgiven the prodigal son? The prodigal son that costed you hundreds of thousands of rands because his drug lords came looking for money from you and they said to you, you ought to pay up what he owes us or we'll kill him. And you sold your car, and you, you mortgaged your house, and you sold the jewels, and you, you did everything you could to pay these gangsters that came looking for you, trying somehow to save that son of yours that you love so much, and that was, and that was destroying your life. When he came back at the end of the story, covered in tattoos, with pins in places, you shouldn't even go there. <laughs> Finished, destroyed, emaciated, as thin as a rake. 
with eyes bulging out because of drugs, would you have forgiven that man? Luke 15, 11, 32. Grace gives when it's not due. Verse 12. Verse 12 says, um, I don't know. I'll read it. <laughs> Verse 12. And the younger of them sent to his said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Grace gives when it's not you. Did he have to give him the inheritance? No. Grace will give when it's not you. And it's easy to say, I will forgive if they. Or I will give when he. Or I will do this if she. But grace gives when it's not due. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that, that he gave. He didn't ask the world to change. He didn't. And now you can see why I'm saying I'm giving you some impossible rules. But I'll let you off the hook later. Number two, grace lets you go if you want to leave. Grace lets you go if you want to leave, which is something that religion will not do. Religion will hook you and hold you with what? With fear and control. And will hold you with, I mean, the, 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 the heaviest one that you can think of is all these cults and sects like the Mormons and the, and the Jehovah's Witnesses that if you dare leaving... They cut you off like seriously. Nobody's allowed to talk to you anymore. Your family, Islam, same thing. Your family actually is supposed to kill you if you deny Islam. That's how religion works. Now, grace. Grace says you're free to go. The only reason why you stay, my son, my husband, my friend, is because you want to stay. But if you want to go, there's the door. You're free to go. I'm not holding you. I'm not giving you a guilt trip. John 667. Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, uh, after, he, after he's had a, a very, very hard saying, the Bible calls it scleros remata. Scleros. Arteriosclerosis. Hard sayings. He says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no part of me, remember? And then the disciples leave him. And he turns to his twelve. I mean, this, I mean, he's starting this thing and he's already lost everybody. He hasn't even, he hasn't even started the ministry and he's already lost everybody. Just one preach. Everybody gone. Turns to Peter and John and he says, you guys want to go too? Because you're free. You're free to go. And Peter says, where are we supposed to go? You got the words of eternal life. Which means he was thinking about it. He was thinking about leaving. But he says, where are we going to go? 
We're going to go back to the law. We're going to go back to the rabbi. And you're the one with the... So we're staying. Why? Not because you're forcing us, but because you have the words of eternal life. That's why we're staying. See? Uh, grace builds good memories. Verse 17. I will go back to my father. Why? Because I, I, I have the memory of a good man. I don't have the memory of a bad man. I could never say that. I will go back to my father. After, after what that guy did, my father would have laid hands on me repeatedly, violently, in many fashions, and at much speed. <laughs> so I could never do that. Why? Because I had a bad memory of my dad, which was a good man, but obviously he grew up with that idea. And so I was terrified of my dad, so I didn't have a good memory. The reason why this guy went back is why? Because he said, in my father's house, even the servants have got food. My father's a good man. Romans 2.4 Do not forget the fact that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And that is my cry. My cry is as long as you put a judge on that throne, a, a, a vindicative a, a deity that is just waiting for you to mess up, to, to slap you stupid, you will push the people away. I was telling Freddie just now, I spoke to a guy in Italy. He, I was supposed to go preach in his church. He's lost his church. He says he's looking for a job. I said, what happened? Say, I don't know, people are leaving, people are leaving houses, people are leaving the church. And I want, I didn't say, but I wanted to say, of course they're leaving. You're preaching condemnation every time they come to church, they sit down, they're feeling good, they get up, they're feeling bad. They come into church, they're all smiling and everything, they walk out and they think, oh, no good, I'm bad. Why should they come? Why should, I mean, they will go for five years, they will go for ten years, they will go for fifteen years, but eventually they say, you know what? which is Greek for, I'm not coming anymore. <laughs> okay. Grace leaves a door open to return. Grace leaves a door open to return. Verse 18, I will go back to my father. Why? Because I know he's not going to kick me out of the house. And, and, and Mark 16, 7 speaks about Jesus instructing the angels to tell the women at the tomb to tell his disciples that he's going before them into Galilee. And then he says, and tell Peter. Tell Peter. Don't tell Peter he's a dirty, traitor, let down, good for nothing piece of chicken dropping. No. He says, tell Peter that what I told you that I will meet you in Galilee is happening now. I will meet you in Galilee. Why? Because I have risen from the dead. Grace takes the initiative. Grace takes the initiative. Grace doesn't wait. Forgiveness doesn't wait for the other person to deserve it. That's another thing that people don't want to understand. You don't need grace when you don't need grace. You need grace when you need grace. In other words, the sinners need grace. Not the good people. That's why Jesus said, I didn't, I didn't come for you guys righteous. I came for the sinners. I came for the sick ones. So you don't, you don't need for the other one to deserve your approach. And like I said, 
this is just about impossible, but this is what grace is all about, and that's why I call it the challenge of grace. Revelation 13.8 speaks of the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God took the initiative to provide the payment for your sin and mine before the payment was required. Uh, grace doesn't mind getting dirty. Verse 20, we know he runs to him, he hugs him, pigs, dirt and all. Grace doesn't mind getting dirty. Matthew 8.3, Jesus is coming down from the mount from where he pronounced the, the most famous Sermon on the Mount. That everybody says, the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is nothing more than another bunch of commandments that Jesus gives Israel so that they can realize that they cannot keep them. And in that Sermon on the Mount, He teaches them how to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven. And don't get me wrong, obviously, the, the, the structure of the thing is great. Like Paul says, the law is good. The law is fantastic. The law is perfect. But Jesus is trying to say, you can't keep it. I have come to satisfy the law. So, He comes down from the mountain. He's just spoken about... Uh, righteousness and cleanliness and uh, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the peacemakers and blessed are these. He comes down and there's a leper. Bad news. Bad news because a leper, according to what Jesus has just said on the mountain, must stay at at least 10 meters away from me. Because I'm a rabbi, if I touch the leper under the Old Testament, I become unclean. <clears throat> the leper comes and he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus doesn't turn around and say, Hey, Futsak, you. Go away from me. What do you want from me? Go, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Like most preachers that only come to the congregation when the music is finished so that nobody touches you and that leave the congregation before anybody can come near you so I come I deliver my speech and I'm gone because I'm not like Jesus you see so Jesus says of course I'll. and the Bible says and he touched him he didn't have to touch him he could have said be healed but he touched him why because he's teaching his people remember what I told you over there now watch me putting it into practice in the Old Testament, if righteousness, or right, if health touched unhealth, unhealth or sickness, if health touched sickness, sickness would make health sick. In the New Testament, health touches sickness, sickness becomes healthy. So, Grace doesn't mind getting dirty. There's only, there's only two. Don't, 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 don't look too worried. Uh, grace protects the erring one. Protects the erring one. Verse 22. Protects the erring one. From, what, what, what do I mean? I mean that grace tries to find an excuse. Tries to cover up. Paul puts, uh, Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 13. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love doesn't go and point out. 
You've done this, you've done that. Even if it's just me and you, even if it's just me and Celeste, I will never, by the grace of God, point the finger and say, you've done this, you've failed and you failed it. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Even if she, she, never, she never does anything wrong. But even if she did, I would, I would not do it because grace protects the erring one. And that's for your son, and that's for your daughter, and that's for your husband, and that's for your wife, and that's for everybody. You protect them. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Love covers a multitude of sin. And you remember in verse 22 what he said? The, the, the father said, Bring me the best coat in the house, and let me cover my son's thought. See? Grace gives even if he's not asked. Verse 22. Grace gives even if not asked. Verse 22 says, it's the ring. Give me the ring. The ring represented everything that was left in the house. Everything that was left in Papa's pocket was that ring. That ring was the way by which he could have sold the house from under his father's feet. And the father says, here, I give you everything, even if you're not asking me for it. Matthew 27. I don't remember what it is. Can I, can I look it up? Matthew 20 and verse 7. And it says this. Uh, it says, ah yes, of course. Uh, it's, the, it's the laborers in the vineyard. You remember there were five groups of laborers. The one, the, 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 the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard needed someone to, wo to work in his vineyard. And he went to the first group. There were five. Five is the number of grace. The first group he said, I'll give you one denarius a day. The other groups he said, I'll give you what's right. And at the end of the day, the last group that only worked for about 15, 20 minutes, a half an hour max, because he went at the last hour. So by the time they left the market and got, got, got into, the, into the vineyard, most probably it was about a half an hour left, 20 minutes left. They worked for 20 minutes, and they, might, they, they might, must have th thought themselves, well, if the guys that work the whole day get one denario, get a hundred bucks, I'll get maybe five rand if I'm happy, if I'm lucky. But at the end, he gives him what's right. He gives him one denarius. The same as the other guy. Because grace gives, even if it's not asked. Grace levels the field. And he will give to the righteous and to unrighteous. He will give the same forgiveness. Uh, grace never punishes. Verse 22. Verse 22. Verse 22. Uh, grace never punishes. But the father said to his servant, Bring the, the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. There you go. Sandals on his feet. Of course, the fact that, uh, that uh, he doesn't tell him, You have behaved so badly, you're not my son anymore. But he put sandals on his feet because grace... Never punishes. 1 John 4, 17, 17 speaks of the fact that uh, a perfect love casts out fear because in fear of torment is based on judgment. You are scared because of the possible judgment. And judgment is linked to punishment. So bottom line, when you do something wrong, you don't go to God because you're scared He punishes you. As if He didn't know what you did. Let me give you a piece of revelation. God doesn't find out about your sin when you, for, when you, for, for, when you confess it. 
the dead sink. Uh, and the last one is grace, never stop trusting. Verse 30, 23, it speaks about the, the, the fatted calf. The fatted calf. Not a fatted calf, the fatted calf. They, they used to fatten a calf in expectation of a feast. So there was an animal that was being fed, especially, so that when the feast came, the animal could be killed and they could celebrate the feast. So the Bible says, bring the fatted calf. That tells me that the father was busy fattening a calf. Why? Because he trusted his son to come home sooner or later. Amen. Amen. And that is, I encourage you to do something. I encourage you to, to take an elastic band and put it around your wrist. Because what faith does and trust does is sticks an elastic band on the back of the wandering one. And that elastic band until one day it comes back. And you don't let go of your faith, of your trust, of your love, of your, of your grace, of your forgiveness, of your kindness, of your good words, of your character, of your personality. You don't let go of nothing, but you keep that thing stuck on his back. And you say, Lord Jesus, I know he's coming home. I know he's coming back. I know my boy is coming home. And I'm preparing the fatted calf because I know he's coming home. Okay. And this is... The end. Ah, by the way, the 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 one, uh, the last uh, scripture there was Isaiah 40, where it says, uh, "They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength; they shall mount up with wings as eagles." They shall. And that word "wait upon the Lord" is basically the construction of it is trust, because it's the word kavah, Q A V A H, kavah, which means to twirl, to twist. To, to braid something. Okay? So they that braid themselves with the Lord, they that twist themselves around the Lord will exchange their strength. Take the example. One little cotton, one, one, one little string, weak string that is supposed to pick up a heavy weight. Can't do it. But you braid that one with a cable of steel. And you will see that it exchanges its strength with a cable and now it can pick up the weight and so that's what that's what Isaiah was saying Isaiah was saying you you twist yourself you you entrust yourself to the Lord and you will exchange your strength with ease in other words get yourself so much into the Lord that when the doubt tries to say no 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 your son is not coming home the Lord says hey he's coming home relax and you're able to carry that weight okay so this is the impossible challenge of grace. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And that is the basis of the relationship that Jesus had with Israel. Putting forth these impossible things. Can, on, can you honestly say you can be perfect like God? No. So what is this trying, what, what is the saying? What is Jesus trying to say? And how can we find rest for our souls in that yoke, in that message? It's very simple. Because the word perfect 
in the original Greek is the word teleios. And teleios is the basis for words like television, telephone, telepathy, telegraph, and it's something graphos, writing from one place to another. Television, vision, from one place to another. Telephone, phone, sound, from one place to another. Tele telepathy, pathos, uh, emotions, from one place to another. Teleios tele speaks of something that moves from one point to another. And that's why he says, you therefore must be perfect. In other words, get going. Your father is perfect. Your father has arrived. <laughs> now get going. God, let me tell you this. God couldn't care. Squat where you are. You know what God cares for? Is where you're going. And if your heart is pointing in the right direction, your feet will follow. So the whole thing about that grace, it doesn't say do all those things. But it says try. Teleios, begin this year, take the first step. Instead of spitting in his face when he comes home, make him a cup of coffee. Once, maybe he'll take the cup of coffee and he'll throw it against the wall. Try again next time. Just get going. Just take one step. Because the only way that you can change and you can reign in Christ is by putting actions to your faith. You have to start doing what you say you believe it's right. And if you believe that all I said about grace is right, and it is, not because I said it, but because it comes out of the, the Word of God, you need to put it into action. And I've seen miracles in my own life by doing that. And I encourage you to do the same. That's great. Daddy God, thank you so much. Thank you so much that we can look at impossible scriptures like be perfect and understand your heart that says, begin the journey toward perfection. I'll be, I'll walk with you. I'll walk right next to you. I'll take you by the hand. I'll show you where to go. I'll show you how to do it. I've already arrived and I'm wooing you and I'm calling you to myself. But take the first step. Come on, let's go. I pray that everybody will hear this challenge of grace and somehow apply it to their lives. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name.